Hi and welcome to episode 4 of Trucking On with Dave McCoyd, the New Zealand Trucking Media Podcast Series. I'm Dave McCoyd, I'm alone today, I don't have my uh, business partner Matthew Smith or any of my uh, working colleagues with me so you'll have to put up with my company for the show today and what a great show it is. We kicked off the podcast series uh, with the arrival of COVID because it gave a great opportunity to uh, kick us in the butt and get the podcast series going and get some information out to people but... Now we're going to head off in the direction that we always wanted the podcast series to go. It's for truck enthusiasts, it's entertaining, it's just trucking stuff for trucking people. And we've got a packed show today. We have got a person of interest, and today we're going to feature Dion Stevens, the sales director for Scania New Zealand. And in the person of interest series, the people talk about themselves, how they got started, where the passion came from and all of those cool, cool things that, that will give us a little insight into their lives and, uh, and, and maybe help um, spur on some, some young people listening to, to realise that they can be really whatever they want to be. Our feature interview today is an absolute ripper. We talked to Alan Tanner, Managing Director of Tanner Group, in an interview I titled The Big Trucks of Tanner Sawmills because they had some amazing gear back in the day and up through the years, and we're going to touch on that a little bit later in the introduction. But before we get rolling, we live in a connected world. Trucks all over the world are ever more connected to us, telling us what they're doing, how they're feeling, where they're at. And the COVID crisis has been an extremely interesting period in history for trucks talking to us about how their life got better with COVID. Scania New Zealand have 1,100 trucks connected uh, far and wide from all corners of the nation and during the uh, lockdown level four months, those trucks were talking to Scania about their life on the road. So here's some really interesting stats from the 1,100 connected Scania trucks. Drivers needed to apply or use their brakes 20% fewer times, which translated to an average speed increase of four kilometres an hour due to maintained momentum. The smoother operation of the vehicles resulted in fuel savings of some 5% or more for some operators. In real terms, that meant savings up to 70 litres of diesel over a week or nearly $100 per vehicle. For a business with a fleet of 20 trucks, this represented a potential $2,000 a week saving on the fuel bill alone. By far the most valuable saving achieved though for both drivers and businesses was time. For typical long-haul runs in and out of large metropolitan areas, a daily time saving of more than one hour was recorded in many cases. Obviously, there is going to be uh, huge savings from that period in terms of stress and fatigue on drivers, and the combined effect of all of those those parameters recorded would obviously have a significant impact on the running cost of the fleet. So there you are. The COVID from the truck's point of view... uh, not a great deal for us economically, but if you're a truck, um, that lockdown month actually made your life a whole lot easier, more frugal, and enjoyable by the sound of it. Okay, so moving on. Right, so my first guest today is comes under the topic of person of interest. And person of interest is someone we pluck out of the industry at any level whatsoever. Could be enthusiast, could be driver, could be could be a salesperson, and just talk a bit about them rather than specifically the job they do, how they came to be where they are, where it all started, where the the spark was lit. And today we've got Director of Sales for Scania New Zealand, Dion Stevens. Hi Dion. G'day Dave. Okay, so you're our person of interest and we're just going to hook straight into it. And uh, I know that you're a a truck mad 
a truck mad man just like myself and so like where's home for you where did it all start where did you go to school what what ignited the flame yeah look thanks for the opportunity um so yeah for me you take me back to a few years or decades just to find out where, where, where it all came from for me but I grew up in, in a town called Wainuiomata, which is in the valley of Wellington. Uh, and when I first went to school, we had to catch a school bus. And this school bus was a screaming Detroit and a, and a big monster of, of, of a machine for me as a five-year-old. And for me, I just thought that, that it sounded cool, it looked cool, and I wanted to be a bus driver. Um, and, and, and then from there, like from the primary school, it was either trucks or buses. Um, and then I can reflect on the, even a passion for for trucks, and, and uh, my, my family went in the transport industry. Um, no one was involved driving or anything like that, um, but my father's friend was a truck driver, and he gave me uh, some magazines, and <laughs> ironically, it was a New Zealand, New Zealand trucking magazine, and I studied those magazines every day and every night, uh, and, and I just wanted to be, in some way, shape, or form, involved in transport, involved in trucks, and I just thought it was pretty cool how... Now, um, we move so much in these trucks and, and, and get to deliver goods and, and keep people happy. And it, it was just an industry that really resonated with me. So the question I've got for you with the Screaming Detroit and being uh, raised in Wainui Amata, did, he, did you have to cross the hill to get to school? Yeah, uh, absolutely, we did. That was uh, my intermediate secondary days. We had to get on Wainui Amata Hill, and so, you know, you knew what bus would go there fast and what one didn't, and, and you knew uh, what, what you could hear. <laughs> I remember the bus driver was at the where uh, airmuffs <laughs> to the street in Detroit, but uh, <laughs> when they got these, they got these new and they were the beast each week with a three-speed to a five-speed, and watching them changing gear and, and, and uh, watching them keep momentum. It was uh, <laughs> just something I was fixated with. I'm not, not too sure why, but resonated with me definitely. No, that, well, that's amazing. What, what what a cool machine to go over the hill in, and I think I think we were all fixated with uh, with Detroit. So I remember um, local carrier and in, in my area used to say they convert fuel to noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Yeah, I think with, with, with people in the transport industry, you fall in love with diesel at a young age, and it's just the, it's the noise of the sound. I'm not so sure, but it was horsepower. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, so first jobs from first jobs from school, like where, like how did the how did you how did you yeah. progress the passion? Yeah, so uh, as I said earlier, my, none of my family or, or friends were involved in transport, so I wasn't around kicking stones and cleaning trucks from from a young age. I just had a, a passion as I went past. So I, I was um, at school didn't really know what I wanted to do, like my, like most guys. Um, but then when the things weren't working for me at school. Um, my father said, best you get a job, and I was working part-time at the local Bureau, so they gave me a full-time job, and, and I, I was there for a little bit, um, picking up trolleys and picking shelves. Um, but one thing that really taught me was around customer service. Uh, really enjoyed interacting with people and, and, and satisfying a need or you know, what they required and, and keeping people happy. And I lasted there for about 18 months, and then I went uh, pumping gas at the local BP, and I really enjoyed that because you just had different people to interact with. Really, really... Uh, Quickly and in and, and out, obviously, fill the cars up. But um, there's one guy there that used to bring his truck and it was a full of a two Hino, and, and I said, Mate, I'd, I'd love to drive a truck for a job. And he, he inspired me, he said, Well, you get your license, you can drive this thing. <laughs> and uh, well, there you are, I'm away. And I told, told my parents what I was going to do, and let's get into it. But lo and behold, I had a friend of mine who worked for a company called Tomah Price, he was a part guy there, and he knew um, 
the local agent from Mitsubishi Trucks and Komatsu Machinery was looking for a parts person. So uh, long story short, uh, when I sold myself and, and uh, got working for a company called CV Machinery Repairs, um, and we looked after, yeah, as I say, a few of those trucks, and it's with trucks and, and come out to earth machinery. That's, that, that's my first step into the industry. Oh, excellent, excellent. And so that would have given you a great grounding and bits and bobs that make trucks go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, you, you learn a step curve and you order the wrong parts, but you have to do it a few times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, really enjoyed it because you could... You, you, you had to supply a service to keep that truck running, and, and I think, as I said, my previous jobs was focused solely on customer service, and that's probably the passion I had in the, in the industry, is, is to deliver good customer service. And knowing that you're a key chain and, and a key part of the chain and making things happen was, was good fun, but, but, but keeping trucks going and, and learning about it, and, and it was a small company, so you could chuck overs on and help and assist and fit parts and clean trucks and stuff. So I was like a pig in mud on his boots and all, and, and uh, my knees and stuff, and uh, any opportunity to jump in a truck or help them mechanic, you know, apply the brakes and change gear and stuff like that, I, I was all over it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because like I said at the start, you really are like a like a real, you really are like a truck groupie, like uh, like so many of us are. And so, yep. So on, onwards from there. Yeah. So from there, um, had an opportunity to. So obviously, the Scania truck is uh, a truck that I uh, fell in love with from a young age, and that, that was my favourite truck. Uh, brand and, and an opportunity to come up to, to go work at Calpies in the parts department. So uh, jumped at that uh, an opportunity with, with both arms. And uh, coming from a, a husband and wife owned company to, to a corporate was a big learning curve, but, but one I really enjoyed. And it, it allowed me to um, follow a, a brand that I, that I liked, was my favourite brand, and, and, and then um, get into the corporate world and understanding uh, how, how that company operated. Uh, but again, it was just a, a, on a bigger scale and, and uh, Obviously, more customers, more trucks, and more excavators, and, and, and uh, yeah, it was almost like a theme park every day. You, you want to ride everything, and you want to go on it, and have a bit of fun. Yeah, that that's such a great analogy. The, uh, um, the theme park, because um, they are they are like a like a uh, you're like a kid in a candy shop, aren't you? When you actually get in amongst the industry and you're surrounded by whatever it is you want to be surrounded by. So the question is, you were a Scania man from an early age, and that was your favourite brand. What so give me the what was the model? What was the model? What like what did you see the first time and go, mate? That is a bit of gear. It was yeah, it, it sticks out in my mind quite clearly. It was a one four two, uh, four hundred horsepower was. It was Wilder Transport. Um, probably not the best looking green trucks back in the day, <laughs> but uh, I, I I saw that thing with a with a four liter V train and, and, and a, it was a weapon of a truck and a big bull bar and. Uh, and you could hear it, you could see it, um, and, and just the sound of the LV8 going. Uh, it was uh, yeah, uh, kind of you can't explain exactly why, uh, but, but but I can see it driving along. I can hear the noise of it, um, and, and I thought that, that that truck looks cool. And 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 it's almost like when you're growing up in New Zealand, you're you're either a Commodore, holding Commodore man, or a Ford Falcon man, and you can't explain why, but that's just what you choose, and you love every model ever since they they released them. And for me, it's it's back of the young son of seeing that, and, and, and Scania was my, was my chosen truck. And it might sound a bit sick, but even on my 21st cake, I had a, a, a impression of a, of a main freight Scania on top of my, my 21st birthday cake. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Was it a, <laughs> was it a sleeper cab? Absolutely, mate. By then, it was a 143. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 
the big 500. Yeah. You know, you can't, yeah. Yep. Taste are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make it loud. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in those days, I mean, Euro 2 or Euro 3, you had to show straight five there. There's nothing, nothing beats the sound of a V8 Scania going up the hill, working hard, bouncing off, a, off, off the centre medium barrier or, or, or the bank. They, they sound awesome. And my um, my dear late friend Guy Spur, who we used to used to uh, travel the nation far and wide together, and um, and uh, taking truck photographs, and 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 lots of people listening will remember Guy. And that one of our favourite things to do if we were in the middle of the North Island in the middle of the night was was go into the into the the big sister on the desert road the the, the Third one heading south, or the first one heading north, and park in the big rest area at the bottom with the lights off, and just sit out on them, and then listen, listen for the swaps coming through, and uh, and guessing it, guessing models, makes, you know, and then uh, scoring, scoring appropriately as they come around the bottom culvert and headed up the hill, yeah, yeah. But like you say, yeah. like you say, those uh, big Scania V8s were just like, you know, they were, uh, uh, you know, one of the engines that make the make the uh, hair on the back of your neck stand up when you heard it coming. Yeah, absolutely. They're an absolute weapon. I remember as, uh, I'd left school, but me and a mate both had a uh, passion for trucks. But we we could had a circuit in, in Wellington. You drive from companies like Phoenix Freight or Falcon Porter back then, and, and PBT, and, and you had the Owen and the main freight. So you, you knew the time the trucks were going to be leaving when they loaded. And, and for me, the Phoenix Freight um, as it came out of the uh, of Tube Street there. As soon as they pulled out and they floored it, you, you just heard it bounce off the wall. And, you knew he was hitting up the line and you, you, you washed him in the passenger seat. Lucky for me, I managed to meet some people later on who worked there and jump in and do a few training swaps myself. And I'm not so sure whether it was a good thing for them or not, but I, I would have just uh, flapped my gum the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, so where's home today? Where, where, where are we at today? Like, where's, what's, the, what's the setup today? Yeah, so um, I, I haven't gone too far. Um, growing up in the Hunt Valley, um, I, I moved up to, I was there all my life actually, and, and moved up to the Cavity Coast, Parapreme uh, Beach. I've uh, been up here for now six years, um, so only an hour north of Wellington. But uh, it's a beautiful climate, good spot for me, and, and, and close enough to work, but also close enough to, 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 to raise a young family as I have uh, by the beach in a good beachside community. So, uh, yeah, I. Um, I really enjoy where we are, and, and, and I think we, we live in a, in a paradise in New Zealand. So you mentioned young family. Is there anyone? Is there anyone in the young family who, when they hear the sound of anything that's powered by diesel combustion, whose ears prick up and eyes turn around and they crane to look, look out of the window? Absolutely, mate. I've, <laughs> I've got to have one in training. So. <laughs> I, I have two sons and two daughters, and I have an adult son, but my youngest son, who's, who's 11, he is an absolute Scania freak, and I might have a little bit to do with that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my daughters, you know, they, 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 they tell me they're like other brands just to wind me up. But um, my son, um, we went on the holiday, actually, we were driving up to, to Taupo, the family, and I think he's done about five or six at the time, but... We're driving up to a truck, and my son could tell you if it was the Scania what model from behind. And when my wife asked, "How do you know that?" He said, "Mum, can't you see the mirrors?" Yeah, <laughs> he could disseminate that by the mirrors and then a shape. And uh, that's a crowd one for me, but uh, I rolled eyes one for my wife. But um, he he is absolutely passionate about Scania and, and about transport. And his, at the moment, all he wants to do is drive a truck. Um, I'm I'm quite okay with that because you got to start somewhere. But um, 
I think uh, we need to do all we can to get good passion into the industry. Oh, uh, unbelievable, and um, and all credit to him, really, because it, you know it was so easy for us. It was so easy for us. I mean, I just rode my mm. push bike or got dropped. Mum dropped me off at the gate at you know at uh, Thames Freight Lines, and I catched a ride with someone, and no one really cared. But you know, when they, to keep the passion, it was so alive when, in such a young person. You know, it's not an easy thing nowadays. No, you're right. Um, a lot, a lot of companies don't allow passengers anymore, and it looks society's busy. You know, everyone's busy, and, and, and uh, but not like it was back then. You could jump and do a touring stop or whatever, or go do a livestock uh, drop off. Um, uh, but, but now, now things are a bit more tougher and compliant, and those sort of things. Yeah. Hey, Dion, is there anything that you want to tell us about yourself that is a demonstration of the, of the supreme passion that you have for the brand? Is there, is there, su- is there some indication you can give the listeners? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably good to listen to another video, but I, I, I might sport a couple of skinny tatters. Uh, my passion may go quite, quite deep. I don't show them off too much because there's obviously a big spare tyre hanging off the front. But um, <laughs> like, I, I, I think that is a personal thing. And for me, um, I've got a few moments in time that, 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 uh, that resonate with me and I've decided to, to display it through a tattoo. Uh, like my first very trip to, to Skarnia, to Sweden, um, I celebrated with a bit of a tattoo. Um, for me, it brings back the first time I, I flew there, the first time I landed at Sotatari in Sweden. And, in my first experience, it'll be a week that I'll never forget. Oh. Uh, of course, in my job, I, I go there quite a bit now, um, but I, every time I go there, you get croissants and you get the old uh, butterflies and, and, and you enjoy it. So, yeah, uh, probably and, a bit of, about me is, is, is I do sports and tattoos. Oh, and look, you know, I, I so get that. You know, if there's one thing that I try to convey to peop- to, to young people who... who you know, and like it's you know you just you just never know where life's going to take you. And like you, you know, you with the with the Scania trips and me with this job. You know, sometimes you're like you know you think I'm a boy from a farm in Kaparahi that used to go and scrounge a ride in a in a Macca or thirty seventy going somewhere. And you know, how, how the hell have I ended up here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm a boy that's run around school and probably didn't apply himself enough, and and and, and now I'm in a position <laughs> which I'm immensely proud of. But um. But I still, I still revert back to the core. I'm actually just having a uh, fun with trucks and enjoying myself. But we do a job on the side. Oh, hundred percent. Never. I haven't worked a day in my life in the last five years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that probably applies in transport because transport never sleeps and it's always constant, always changing. And we're not going to five industry. Dion, thank you so much for taking 20 minutes out of your incredibly busy day, and I can only imagine how busy it is. I'm sure it's as hectic as hell at the moment, um, to, um, to just um, have a chat and, and tell us a bit about a, l- a little bit about you. And, and um, once again, you've proven the point that passion paves the way to anything. Yeah, no, thanks, Dave. Really appreciate it. It's uh, sort of good to, to, to talk and, and reminisce on the old times and talk to some fellow passionate people. So I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. So there we have Dion Stevens, Sales Director at Scania New Zealand. Our person of interest, what a fascinating insight into his life and how his passion for trucks got started with a school bus on the Wainui Hill with a screaming Detroit in it. What a magnificent segue that is because this is pure luck, I tell you, I tell you hand on heart, but uh, every now and then we're going to have a uh, Sounds We Love section or just a little clip of sounds that truck passionate people love and would you believe it, the first one we've got 
there's an 8V92 liftoff. So if you don't like the sound of a screaming Detroit, turn the volume down. If you're an intoxicated junkie like myself, turn the volume up. gentlemen boys and girls if you are the real deal if you are the trucking enthusiast you absolutely won't want to miss the next half hour of trucking on we have the rare privilege of having alan tanner managing director of tanner group uh, do an interview with us that i've entitled the big trucks of tanner sawmills so for those of you that don't know tanner sawmills was located on the eastern side of the uh, rugged coromandel range and they had a fleet of really cool trucks over the years that used to breach the Coromandels in order to get their timber to markets and logs back to the mill. When you're talking companies that have owned neat trucks, Tanner Sawmills is one of those ones that's really difficult to surpass. They've had very early W model Kenworths, even earlier K model Kenworths, they've had Max Superliners, they've had CL Max with uh, 600 Cummins power in them. They had some incredible trucks in their time. One of the K-Block Cummins Kenworths with a 525, the famous KW525 trucks. And Alan Tanner remembers the spec, the way he bought them, how he spec'd them, what they were bought for, what they did with them, every single truck. And that's because Alan's a real machinery and truck enthusiast. Not only did he have a passion for the business he ran, but he had a passion for the machines that felled his timber, carted his timber, carted his logs ran his sawmill, uh, he's just, he's the real deal when it comes to, to the machinery buff business owner. And it, he's a pretty rare guy to, to, to get to, he's a very humble man like the doers of his era, and, um, but he was willing to give me half an hour and, and agreed to, uh, to, do, to do a talk on the trucks. Now I'm going to give you a bit of background before we start because once you set Alan going, Alan's away and, and, uh, and, he, and he will just regurgitate the history so just to put you in the picture, Tanner Sawmills was uh, on the eastern side of the Coromandel by the small uh, seaside hamlet of Tairua, but they also had operations in Kaitaia, you'll hear him talking about Kaitaia, and they also had operations in Natchez, Mississippi in the US for a period. Now, so you'll hear him talk in the interview, uh, a bit in the interview about uh, buying Peterbilts uh, for Mississippi, so, so that's how that sort of uh, dovetails into it. The Copa-Hickaway Road that he talks about is obviously State Highway 25A, the main divide that crosses east to west on the Coromandel. The drivers he talks about, when he talks about Moose, he's talking about David Maxwell, the son of the legendary Don Maxwell, both absolutely artisan truck drivers. John Harkmer um, is John that he talks about, uh, another amazing, amazing uh, operator. And again, the only real definition that you can tag to John Harkmer is, is an artisan of the truck driving craft. And Barry is Barry Waite, who, who was at Tanner's uh, very early on and, and drove some of that very, very early big gear. As far as timestamps go, when you're listening to the interview, you can pretty much work the big, uh, the original Big Kenworths in the early 70s. You can, the KW525 truck, first part of the 80s decade, it, it sort of appeared on the road. 
Likewise, the Big Macs. You're talking the 80s decade there, right through the 80s and, and into the early 90s for the Big Macs. He touches on having a Foden, uh, so that was early 90s, and uh, the big CL Mac early 2000s. So that just puts a timestamp on things for you. For those of you that need some reference points geographically, you'll hear Alan talk about um, the trucks doing runs from Tyrua to Kai Tyre. So that's the eastern side of the Coromandel to, to obviously as about as far north as you can get in New Zealand in terms of a decent sized town. And that's a 463 kilometre lead. So when he's talking about doing rounders, and that's crossing the Coromandel and all the big climbs up north, and remembering that it's all pre-Puhoi uh, extension on the northern motorway system. So it's Albany Hill, all of the in and outs of the bays, Oriwa, Wairiwa, and then on up north into the, into the really big country. In terms of Alan himself nowadays, uh, he definitely qualifies for Winston's gold card. There's no question about that, but he is far from retired. He is as uh, active as you can imagine. The group today is uh, the, the big sawmilling halcyon days of the sawmill and uh, the big trucks um, uh, have gone, but uh, it's a healthy contracting carding and farming entity. Um, Alan himself still lives right beside uh, Tyra on the estuary there, beside the mill where some magnificent trucks left over the years loaded with good chunky loads of timber. Okay, so let's get going. We pick up the conversation with Alan when he's talking with us about some of the earlier nightmares in terms of Ford trucks uh, struggling with the Coromandel Rangers, and he's just talking about a Ford that they got that was the... Uh, had the first star uh, tandem axle at the rear, so here we go. Alan Tanner on the big trucks of Tanner Sawmills. The series of one of the first tandems that they built, and uh, that had a Turner gearbox, and you know when we did a bit of log export on, when things were real bad in '68, um, we decided to sell a few logs to the exporters, and uh, so we got that way that the. It's, it used to spend half an hour in low gear up the Kobekwa, and so that it did that for about um, you know ten trips, and it took low gear clean out. <coughs> so the turn of gearboxes weren't the way to go, and uh, so uh, I suppose one of the better things that happened was that um, when I was uh, down there, I got to meet Peter Shawcross. I'd taken my uh, future wife with me. I think we might have been engaged at the time. Um, on Easter Monday, thinking they would get unloaded, and of course there was no one working. And uh, but Peter Shellcrest came along in his truck, and uh, so I introduced him. Well, he in we introduced each other and whatever, and uh, he arranged for someone to unload me. And uh, uh, so, you know, he was uh, influenced later, but that was along the way. And then uh, met up with Stan Williamson as well, and uh, you know we sold logs to Stan for a while, and that all went a bit sour. Um, because the fellow he was supplying didn't pay, and one thing or another, and so I got to meet Mike Lambert and one or two others as well, uh, because that all, everyone had hauled a bit, and so our creditors at the creditors' meeting that we had, and uh, so, uh, you know, it's interesting how some of these contacts become very useful later on, and uh, so uh, the next Fords we got had six-speed boxes, I had them put in, uh, if they didn't come out, they came out in the D1000s, and you probably remember ZF boxes, and they were a much sturdier box, so we had them fitted into uh, a, a turbo tandem that we had, and a, and a turbo four-wheeler that we had as well, and uh, but then they started the turbo as it worked out, 
reef counter was well out and we were under-reeving it, which was a good thing. And lots of people were having problems with the turbos nipping up, but we didn't until we found out when we got the new one. We said, there was something majorly different with the, the new one. It revs a lot higher, so uh, and it hadn't been known because you look at these things later. When we made the other one rev higher, it nipped up, just like everyone else was having. So... Uh, after a while, we decided we need to get out of them, and uh, uh, somehow along the way, we bought a Nizam. Second-hand one was ex Morris Collie, so it had been to the moon and back, I guess. I don't remember where I bought it, but whether I bought it off the agents or what got it a bit discounted or some other thing, and uh, anyway, it, it ran for a while. It was pretty slack in power. The DCUs would about keep up with it, but it uh, ran for a while, and then it... Uh, blew itself apart, and so uh, we took it up to Nizan and Auckland. It sat up there for more than a year until they fixed it. And we got it back, and we weren't going to work it by that stage, so we sold it. And, but it did pull when we used it a couple of times. It did pull, but anyway, so I suppose we were thinking that we needed something better than Fords and second-hand old trucks, because the Kobequai is a test-free truck, as you well know. And... Uh, um, <coughs> So I looked at, um, thought about Japs and so forth, and I uh, was coming through uh, Tipoki late at night, you know, probably about 8 o'clock at night with a load of posts. We used to bring some from Kaupo and so forth and treat them and so on. So did a bit of night running. That was, um, you know, the way to do things. And so I stopped off at Peter's yard, and Peter happened to be there. And so... Uh, I suppose I was telling him a few of the headaches we'd had, and he said, Alan, this is what you need to buy. And uh, he took me to his newest Kenworth, and he opened it up, and there were six of them lined up there, as they used to be. And he opened up and said, that's the sort of truck you need to get yourself into. He said, don't fool around with the chaps up. The best thing I did was buying a Kenworth, so uh, he said, that's what you need to be doing. And uh, So I guess that was in the back of my mind as I was coming through Road I remember you know, thinking of Leyland and so on. I priced up Leyland and... When we bought the, that second Ford tandem, I had thought about, and I'd looked and got a price off an ERF and a price off a Nissan, and I was probably leaning towards a new Nissan, you know, which were two-stroke at that stage, and uh, the ERF was 26 grand from memory, and the uh, Nissan was 22 grand, and I was thinking that perhaps the Nissan would be a, both for 250 horsepower, and uh, I was mindful that the ERF had eaten diffs, which I was a bit suspicious of uh, only 38,000 and I wasn't sure that our Kobeck boy would cope with that that well but anyway um, so when it came to the wire I got uh, prices off um, Mercedes and I think it was 42 and a half or 26, 24 Mercedes and they only had a 10 speed splitter box as you might remember I think they had a 2 speed reduction as well or something but, uh, and then uh, Mac Ron Carpet had come up and introduced himself to me in about 
they stood up pretty well. So I knew that in the depth department they were quite good. And they had a 13 Road Ranger and uh, the Cummins engine, the British built Cummins, I had a bit of suspicion about, but at the same time, I thought they were probably the best of what was available. And I looked at Leyland's, thinking of Leyland's, and as they turbocharged them and so forth, I remember stopping off at Rotorua on the way back one night and going in there and looking, and there's all these trucks with 20,000 miles on the Speedos, turbo Leyland's, were in bits. And I thought, well, I wouldn't want to touch something like that, would I? Because we are trying to get out of problems, not get into them. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, that pretty much sort of convinced me that you know, we probably needed to go and get something decent. And uh, so we uh, Kenworth at 44,000 and so forth with the wait list on them. Um, they had them coming all right. Uh, Ken Frost was sales, you know, and uh, uh, so late 1973, uh, we were ready to order something uh, because we just felt that we needed to get on and get something decent and get rid of the Nizzen and get rid of the Fords. And uh, so the first they could deliver one was in uh, July, well, it was going to be May or something of, of, of 74. And uh, um, we cranked the mill production up a fair bit and so forth. And, uh, you know, we had a Labour government, so things were running along reasonably hot in the timber industry. But we needed a better truck, so uh, we ordered the Kenworth in late 73. And... Uh, so they helped us out because I said we were desperate for a truck. Um, they said, well, we've got this cab over here that you could have on loan for until a new one arrives. So I think we were paying some sort of rent or whatever it was. And uh, Delos were real good at sort of um, being user-friendly and so forth. And uh, Ken Frost was certainly a good uh, um, proponent of the product and the cause. And so it was a... 350 Cummins with a 13 speed was going to come and uh, 44 discs and uh, so uh, we got this cab over Kenwood X Mike Lambert that had been traded on the V12 and uh, um, it had uh, 38,000 discs and uh, page and page suspension which was a problem and uh, 13 speed and 250 Cummins so um uh, we took that and put it to work, and uh, I mean, it was uh, a breath of fresh air, as you can guess. It hauled up and down the Kovekoi instead of 10, 30, 25 minutes or 30 minutes in low gear and a Ford. Um, well, the turbo did a bit quicker than that, but anyway, uh, the Ken was about 8 or 10 minutes, and it was up the hill and over the other side, and the Jake brake and so forth, so... I just felt that that was far better than a Mercedes or, or the Mac at 46,000 for less horsepower. So it really came down to there wasn't much choice. It was Kenworth or nothing in my book at that stage. So uh, we knew we needed a decent truck. And so uh, when the new one arrived, that was a big deal. And we had a new semi built for it. And, uh, you know, we'd bought a new two axle trailer with the second Ford that we'd bought. And so that was the A train two-axle trailer and single-axle semi and three-axle truck was the best thing for light tearways and get on with the job, and which we did, and uh, delivered a lot of timber with that. And uh, So we'd, uh, instead of sending the cab over back, we thought, well, uh, we should put it onto logs. We'd use it on logs when we were uh, short at times, and so on. We'd pull the, we just had a, it was just a chassis with a couple of, 
both the skid up across the uh, top to put packets of timber on and so with no mudguards or whatever over the tandem and so it was a good light to your truck hooked the two axle trail on away it went but um, so we made it so we put a bolster on as well uh, bolted on and top it on with a forklift didn't take long and uh, um, cradle to carry the two axle trailer and uh, um, you know we, we had a, a good log truck so uh our logging got a whole lot better once we had our own truck and we had Wallings do some logging for a while with their Max, 237 Max and so forth. So we uh, sort of had a good grasp of how they went and what they did and so on. So we had the two Kenworths pretty quickly and the run of things and uh, you know, the price that Gellogs did, I think we paid them off over two or three months or something at um, to pay for that cab over and uh, I guess the other one was on its usual sort of purchase plan and whatever so uh, um, there we had two Kenworths in the fleet and uh, we got rid of the Fords and I suppose it's fair to say that um, you know things looked up from there. The uh, cab over as I said had um, suspension issues and we eventually put a Hendrickson in there and we placed the page and page which made it a bit heavier and a whole lot rougher riding but uh, it did the trick anyway. It became trouble-free, and uh, and the new Kenworth had um, the same Hendrickson suspension and the 44s and whatever. So what we did have over the coming period was uh, the splitter gave some problems, um, and I later figured out that um, it was moisture in the airlines, and so the next trucks we bought. Everything we ever bought after that came with an air dryer on it because we'd had the same issues in the sawmill and so we'd had to put an air dryer in there for compressed air because, uh, you know, water in there just uh, confuses the lubrication you put in and so forth and uh, so pistons become slow moving and so when you change the splitter it only moves halfway and I guess it, um, the fork kept trying to move once the weight was on and uh, so it wore the fork out. So the next trucks all came with 15 road ranges because I wanted one where you had a full shift, not a split shift. Yeah. And uh, so uh, uh, you learn along the way as you go and they all had their drives. So the next one came with a, um, that was in 78, uh, the one that we got for Moose, uh, which was a long wheelbase, 230 inch wheelbase, 350. Uh, Delos put the 15, that was a 12515 direct, an overdrive box that was overdrive because it's 529 discs and uh, uh, so that worked well enough and uh, Moose was very happy with a nice new truck and so we that one came with aircon as well because I felt well we actually had good drivers and we felt we did well you we might as well give them the best things that it could be and uh, the dusty roads I think the aircon would be a useful tool so I said to him would he use it if I got it and he said he would so we ticked the boxes of, um, you know, the comfort cab and whatever else we could put on it so that it would make the job easier and more uh, pleasant and enjoyable. Alan, so if I can just, um, if I can just, just uh, on that subject, like if I can just duck back to the first W model arriving with a 350-13 speed in it, what, what was the driver, what was the... What was the feedback to you as an owner, like when he got home from the first couple of runs, having probably driven the the Nissan or the Ford, and then and then done a load of timber at Auckland and the W model? <laughs> you can guess what it was. <laughs> he he walked in with a big wide smile on his face. So uh, 
Uh, I think the first couple of loads I did myself because it was a bit of a big deal um, having something so nice. And I mean, it powered up the 350 as you can guess, powered up the hills and powered down the other side with a good engine brake and so forth. And one of the things that um, uh, I believed in is you go up a hill as fast as you can, you go down the hill so the engine pretty much holds itself. The time that took to go up the hill and down safely uh, was what the trip took. And if I saw paint coming off the brake drums, I'd ask them who the hell's in the hurry. Yeah. Because the paint used to stay on the brake drums. And I remember asking a couple of the clowns we had the driving later in some of the older trucks that we had in 80 years and the paint was gone. I said, what the hell is this? And they thought I was joking. I said, go and look at that Ford Louisville around there. And it was had the wheels off because we were painting it, and uh, it was John Harkman driving, and the paint was still on the brake drums. I said, "See that?" I said, "He's done. Look at the speed. I think it was five hundred thousand k's or something. And there's the paint still on the brake drums." I said, "See that's how it is. And see that trailer, and look at your trailer and your truck. Paint's burned off on both of them. Because you're going far faster than you need to go." So yeah. I guess I was reasonably blunt on those sort of things and guys understood that and they knew what the expectations were and uh, you know, the goal was to have nice gear for them and gear they could be proud of and as you can probably remember that Kenworth was the first Kenworth in the region. Don Gordon got one at similar time just a couple of months after we got ours and uh, but when we got that cab over it was the first Kenworth in the region and uh, you know at, at the timber yards and so forth lots of customers said boy. We love your trucks. Yeah. And uh, um, so, it, it, yeah, it, it gave us a profile as a company as well. Um, so, you know, there were a number of benefits from it, you know, by nice-looking gear and the sign riding. The uh, sign rider down the road was a, a um, really talented fellow and he scrolled and pinstriped and all the things that were done and so he had that beautiful artwork on them and people loved that and he made up an emblem for us you know the logo and so forth and uh, so the whole deal was quite different the paint jobs and everything were um, quite different to what had been the norm at the time and of course all the lights on them and I'd always like lights on the Fords and things so we'd lock the lights down the side and back and so forth because I see the cop stopped me one time in Tiaonga later at night and uh, asked me what I was doing with a load of posts on and so on. And he said, have got a lot of lights. I said, yeah, I figure better they send me than they don't. <laughs> yeah. Said, well, I can't really disagree with that. So, uh, um, and he let me carry on. I mean, he asked me where I'd come from. He said, I'm some coffee place the other side of Tipuki. Because you remember in those days, rail had it all and uh, we weren't supposed to yeah. doing those sort of things. So... Uh, yeah, that's right. A, 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 an era that we uh, yeah can barely uh, comprehend now, and so yeah, well, Kaitaia was another challenging one. You know, <laughs> so that was uh, we had lots of uh, run-ins with the long arm there, a bit like along the lines of Scott, you know. But uh, they got to know us and so forth, and they would look out for musty cars that they hidden and tucked away and so forth. And so we had a drop-off yard with a forklift in it where we could. Uh, unload and reload and they couldn't do much about that so. yeah and so that's a really interesting segue the Kai Tire mentioning Kai Tire Alan because um, obviously the, the journey continued and there was some more W the, there was a cat powered one that came into the fleet which, which we won't linger on because that, that wasn't probably the greatest uh, truck for you guys so 
But so, but the Kai Tire thing brings us further and further up the line of history to a K Block Cummins and a W Model Kenworth in New Zealand, and the and the and the and the KW five two five five truck, and 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 that was all about Kai Tire, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing that happened there was um, a Mac Superliner. Um, you might remember that um, <coughs> when we bought Kai Tire, and of course at the time there was. Good depreciation because it was a um, uh, a bad area up there. So you got I can't remember it was forty percent depreciation, whatever it was. You know it was very attractive, and uh, so um, um, the truck when we bought it was in Kaitaia's name, but it was partly because of the wood we were bringing down from there, and we wanted to uh, be able to bring it down and put it on the rail wasn't an option as you can get. Couldn't give customer service, and we were counting on giving customer service. I mean, we were recognised for service and so forth, and uh, giving them specific lengths of timber that they wanted urgently and so on, and uh, so it needed to be done by truck. They got a hold of us and said, well, we've got these Max component built. I mean, they'd tried to sell us Max over time, but I was not keen on, you know, a, a truck that was all... The one thing, one engine, one gearbox, one thing, all the parts all had to come from the supplier is a component built truck. I felt gave good insurance. Uh, Carl Kepstick got a hold of me and said, well, We've got a component built truck. You know, it's um, got all of the right gear, um, you know, which was the 44s and the Rockwell suspension and the um, um, 15 speed 12515 Road Ranger and the CAT engine. And at the time, I was pretty keen on getting. Anyway, so um, it was a 380 horse that they'd brought in. As you remember, the six of them were brought in for um, Pandak and Ron didn't get the order because it went to Road Boss instead. And uh, so he had six trucks to sell. And uh, so we looked at that and thought, well, they were very competitively priced. It was better than the Kenworth. I think it was about 10 grand cheaper than the Kenworth. So uh, uh, we bought. The Superliner and uh, bought a new B train for it and uh, put it to work in Kaitaia. And uh, uh, I mean, it was a wonderful truck to use and it pulled a lot better than the um, those cat engines hang on, as you probably realise. And uh, up the hill, they pull and pull, and uh, it powered off up the hill with a good load on and so forth. And uh, delightful thing to drive, and the cab was nice and comfortable with the air ride in the back and so forth, so uh, Kenworth kept saying they were going to bring out an air ride cab, but they were pretty slow in getting it to fruition, and uh, so uh, then um, I looked at this, um, we were doing those trips, and uh, you know, there weren't log books, well, yeah, we didn't have log books at the time, we had uh, waybills, we had to have a waybill, and they wanted waybills for where you were hauling from and so forth, so we could write up waybills easy enough for the right places and the right times, and they would stop us. So John Harkwell would leave at about one in the morning and come down with a D-series Ford down to um, Cummins, about, down to our depot, wipe and unload a load, and then the Barry was on the Mac based at Tyre, even though it was you know really destined for Kai Tyre. Um, that was the plan, and uh, Barry was using it in Tyra, and so he had run up to Waipu and pick up the load and bring it back to the customers and so forth. So the D-Series would drop the load in at about 3 or 4 in the morning at Waipu and then we'd pick it up and take it on. So 
So, uh, you know, what, and getting very tired and so forth, they do runs up to Kaitai at times as well, direct. And uh, so I, I thought, well, speeding them up, up the hills and down the hills and so forth is the best thing I can do to lighten the load on the um, tiredness. So I talked to Gelox about um, um, a V8 cat, because I was this cat fan, V8 cat powered uh, Kenworth. They said, well, uh, I can't fit a white fit in that Kenworth. And I said, well, I've seen it go down a production line in the factory in, uh, in um, Seattle. Um, saw a truck going down the production line of Kenworth with a 348 in it. They said, yeah, but the turbo's on the wrong side because the right-hand drive, and so that's why it can't be done. He said, we'll give you a 450 Cummins. I said, I don't want a 450 Cummins. They had two or three of them in New Zealand, and I said, well, give me a 525. Can't, haven't done it, never done one. Can't do it, don't know how to do it. There'll be a whole lot of engineering. So eventually said to Bill Davis, who was the salesman at the time, he said, well, get me an order for three. So he got hold of uh, Ian Rorison and said, uh, you know, we want to do a 525. Do you want one? And he was in an order for two. He said, I think if I get an order for two, they'll accept it. And he was right. So Ian Rorison said, yeah, but I want a 600 instead. And he said, no, they'll only do a 525, whatever the reason was. So uh, I asked him for 3.7 diffs because we were still having the 15 Road Ranger and the 15 Road Ranger was really too small for the engine because the torque in the engine was above the rating of the gearbox. But, uh, so I wanted three seven dips because I figured, well, it needs gearing up so that it wasn't to go fast. It was just to be economical because I wanted to burn less diesel, as you can guess. So, um, uh, <coughs> but they said, no, nah, terrain in New Zealand is too hilly. And we won't fit the truck with less than a 3.9 dips. Uh, so three nines, what you have to have. Well, of course, by the time those dips are done 600,000 miles and we need to do bearings in, the, in, the, in it, we uh, took the dips out and put them in the Caterpillar one because uh, it had 411s. And we put three sevens in and at that stage, Cummins, Kenworth will bring it out the new trucks were coming out with three seven this standard and the same 15 box and so forth. And uh, so they'd learned over that time that three seven would work. So we made three sevens at that stage. So the truck in its ladder life had three sevens. And uh, uh, so it just helped a bit on the fuel and so forth. So uh, the um, Cummins, that, that's why I wanted to go to that big engine was because it had high torque, 1650 torque. And, uh, not so high now, but at the time it was very high. And uh, I felt the big engine, we'd had our share of problems with the 350 Cummins um, camshafts, or not particularly camshafts, but, um, you know, rot in the sleeves and the sort of things that the Cummins did and so forth. So we never got more than about 180,000 Ks out of uh, a Cummins engine on the Kohikawai, and it, I believe it was those hills build up the heat and they'd break a ring or something like that and so we'd have to go in and fix them up and you know there'd be new sleeves and pistons and bearings and whatever so I felt with that big engine not working too hard and it would go up the hill I think in eight minutes or whatever it was and uh, so it powered off up the hill at about 30 odd k's and I felt well hopefully it's building less heat and uh, whatever but that 
even that big engine uh, that long either that um, the best engine we ever had was the V8 Mac, the 440. It did a million Ks without being touched, and so uh, uh, the big Cummins didn't quite give us what we hoped to get from it, but at the same time it did flatten out the hills an awful lot, and uh, the driver had a lot of privilege on it, and uh, he'd going up the Bombays, he'd come back with a big smile, and he'd say, oh, truck and trailer was, stock truck and trailer was going up empty, and I passed them fully loaded, he said, oh, it's, uh, 46 ton, you know, because uh, 44 was about, or 39 or whatever was about the limit of, before they changed the rules of it, and uh, so it was often hard, but at times, uh, when Moose was on that 525, he said to me, it's not pulling right, you want to ride with me? I said, yeah, I'll take it over the hill with him, and uh, he said, do you think I should weigh? I said, no, it's not pulling right. He said, do you think I'd better weigh it? I said, yeah, you should, so he went in and weighed it, it's 53 tons. <laughs> so I remember the first time I saw it uh, with the bonnet up because you know you get so used to seeing W models with cats and the 14 litre cats and Cummins motors in them and the first time I ever saw Moose tip the bonnet on it and pull the bonnet over and it's like first uh, only time you know a K block Cummins can fill up a Kenworth bonnet oh yeah <laughs> I'll tell you that that you know when they got the order for two they built them and uh, um, so uh, we were quite proud to have that one, and then we uh, decided that we needed another one um, because the, we'd kept the um, original 350, and it was picking up a lot of Ks as well, and I thought, well, old trucks have never done us any good, so uh, we'd done... When I traded it, it had done 640,000 Ks, and I said to them, it'll need a brake reline shortly. I said, it's never had the brakes done yet. He just thought I was joking about never had the brakes done. I said, no, it's never the brake read on. He couldn't believe it. I said, well, it's the drivers, you know. So uh, that was a measure of how it was, is it never had a brake read on. And, uh, so uh, out of interest, you know, we traded that one for, um, we bought it for 44484 and we sold it for 61000 So we <laughs> traded it. So. Yeah. Yeah, and you were talking before about the, um, the 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 arrival of the V8 Max. So was the, were they spurred on by the by the success of the 380? Like, was it were they did they come by virtue of the good run from that truck? Well, the Elephant King, as you might remember, had gone out of business, and so the new agency it bounced around for a bit. I think IST had it, and somebody else I can't remember. They never really connected with us, and uh, so. Um, you know, one way or another, and, and Mac were always there, and uh, Ron Carpenter was, and Carl Capstick, as you can guess, and uh, so they kept at us about a Mac, and uh, so uh, um, eventually we decided we'd take a 440, and because uh, that was the biggest horsepower they had, I was disappointed it wasn't more horsepower, but uh, so we bought that, and uh, uh, that went into work and was doing okay, and then. Uh, we needed another one, so uh, I think the 440 was a, you know, it wasn't a replacement, I think it was an additional truck. And the 500, I think we traded something on the 500, I can't remember, but um, so uh, that went to Kaitara as well, and uh, um, so the 440 came down to Tyra at that stage, and the uh, 500 was up, and they had the 380 and the 500 up in Kaitara. They had two superliners up there, and we had one on the flip down here at that point. So, uh, 
440 was a great truck for you historically. Like by by the time it's like by the time you'd ru- you'd run uh, your course with it, it'd been a really good machine to you. Yeah, well, that engine was the best engine, as I said, that we ever had. And when we kept track of it, when it was with the provincial, as you might remember, and it did over a million k's before the engine had to be touched. Yeah. So it was the only one that had stood up so well. And I don't know whether you remember our 500 having a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, John was coming out of Kaipar and um, the mechanic had a habit of um, well, he'd service at the weekend and uh, we were always very meticulous on our servicing as you would guess and uh, um, they used to get upset with them most drivers did with the mechanic because he'd overfill the pumps 
and it got to the point where they told him, well, if you overfill it, you drain it again. You you take the surplus out. We don't want to be running it over full stumps. So unbeknown to John, he's, it was serviced over the weekend, and unbeknown to him, um, he overfilled the sump, and so he dropped the dipper of oil out of it, and then he put the sump plug back in, and, and what happened was he had only put a couple of turns up, he came back and checked it, and it was full, and he forgot he hadn't tightened the sump plug. So John heads out with his full load on Monday morning at 3 o'clock, and uh, he's gone up the Mangamukas and got over the top, and uh, the alarms come on, and he looks and sees the oil pressure's gone, he put on just in the corners, he'll just he had idle to it straight into idle and, and uh, just coasted down the hill a bit to get out of the east bend and so forth so it wouldn't be a hazard to the traffic. But it was with the heat and whatever, even though it was a premium oil and so forth, it just locked up. Yeah. So uh, he towed it down to Wangarei and, um, you know, the uh, new block knew everything. So I think it was 40 odd thousand dollars for another engine to rebuild the thing and get it underway again and so forth. So uh, that interrupted, disrupted the life of, of that engine. So, uh, um, you know, we didn't have the same mileage um, because that one I think was at 440 or 460 or some other mileage, you know, and uh, so it was disrupted by that. And so we started over again and uh, but the 500 did pull well and uh, ran sweet and so forth, but uh, the 440 certainly seemed to have the last ability. 500 was the last Mac we bought. Went back to the phone with the four and a quarter cat in it because we were still a bit keen on cat. And then it was when we, when Mississippi, we were buying a Peterbilt, the guys used to come in and I'd talk to them and uh, for their trucks. And I said, this guy's got a new Pete with a Cummins in it. A 500, uh, N14, 500. I said, why do you come as not cat? He said, well, he said, I have run cat. But he said, I thought about it. And he said, I thought, well, Cummins hasn't done any harm. And cat is always, they always say, well, you know, there's a new Māori out in it. You know, and all that rang so true with me and so forth. So uh, the peak we bought, I spec with a Cummins in it, five, 500 Cummins N14. And uh, so... Uh, you know, at that stage, I sort of thought, well, Cummins isn't that bad because the product support from Cummins is much better than Caterpillar. Caterpillar are pretty tight on any credits or anything like that. So, um, um, you know, uh, yeah. So then the next uh, truck we had, as you might remember, was Big Yellow. Big Yellow, yeah. So, um, you know, I was still committed to this view of horsepower was the way to go, in uh, as much as it wasn't speeding that we were looking for, but the ability to go up it all quickly and get the job done and uh, so forth. So uh, we were a bit keen. We didn't have much of a rapport with Kenworth or anything, so we were a bit keen to get a Mac if we could, but um, they didn't come up with any bright ideas about Mac, and so we were at the point where we'd Virtually decided to run with a Freightliner with a uh, signature engine in it. And uh, then Carl got hold of me and said, Well, they can do a, a CLX, a US with a signature engine in it. And, uh, you know, an 18 box and uh, Meritor 44s and so forth. And I said, Well, yeah, because I knew that with the CL would be a lighter tear weight. 
because they could do a Triton or some other thing, and that was going to be far too heavy and big and whatever. So uh, we plumped for that. So that was built in the US, came into New Zealand, left-hand drive, and the motor truck converted to right-hand drive when it got here and set it up and they lifted it up. Um, you know, we had the cab lifted, the cab and the hood, and then we lifted up two inches and uh, gave better airflow underneath the cab clearing of the, you know, for cooling and all that sort of thing. And, uh, um, of course, we'd, you know, from the uh, first truck we bought in 1990, I mean, everything from 78 on, we never bought a truck without having a trailer or anything without having tubeless tires on it because it felt, well, that was how we needed to go and interesting that was how the way the industry went later on anyway and uh, so from 1990 it was same deal on alloy wheels I figured well why wouldn't you buy them with alloy wheels we wanted the lightest gear we can get so so the CL came in about 8.7 ton I think 8.65 or something like that uh, with fuel and everything in it so uh, with the alloy wheels and uh, tubeless rubber and the cab lifted up and all the bits and pieces that and motor trucker, you know, always were excellent at specking things up. I mean we said, Well can you do this and that and, and nothing was too much trouble. I mean they wanted every little thing to be done as we wanted it and so forth and I mean they, you know, bits of alloy fixed here and bits of the chrome there. So it was my son that said, Well we needed to change our colour scheme. He told me that um, when we were thinking of buying a second peat in the US, he said, there's a colour you don't see much of. It's called um, Mayfield Dairy Yellow, and it's a bright yellow. He said, there's not many of them around, but he said, uh, it's again with a Peterbilt colour. And the yellow and the uh, alloy and chrome is all you want, single colour. He said, that's the way of it. So the first peak we got was red, and so the second one was that yellow one that was actually built for us with our name on it and so forth. And uh, um, so it was yellow, and he said, well, we need to do the same here. So he said, uh, so that's how big yellow came out. People wondered what had happened to us because the fleet was sort of recognised with its colour scheme and so forth, and then big yellow turned up, and people wondered, well, what happened? Well, that was what happened. So. Yeah, it was a very striking truck, though, very... It was a it was a fantastic truck uh, for me personally. It was always a good luck truck for me because uh, I w- uh, I ha- had a driver big yellow. Um, uh, when John was driving it one Saturday, yep. and um, and it won me top truck poster in the magazine once. When uh, remember us all, right. we all went out on the bridge and uh, and took some pictures, and uh, and it was a rainy day. But uh, like you say, that br- colour was so bright it brightened up the rainy day and 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 got me the poster. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. And David was very proud of that, as you can guess. So. Yep, and so and Big Yellow was a good machine to you, like uh, across the across the course of its life. Yeah, yeah, interestingly, the box, like I went for a Mac box because I thought with that torque and so forth, it'd be a better box than the Road Ranger, but I don't know whether it did last better. Yeah, we had to go into it once at about six hundred thousand. It did some bits and pieces in there. I think from me, it cost about ten grand. So. Um, but apart from that, the dips were, you know, they were the uh, 46 um, Mirators and uh, excellent and the airbag suspension and uh, so the Cummins engine and uh, um, and uh, Mac box and uh, Miratour dips. I mean, uh, we could have had Mac dips, but I said, no, no, Miratours, not Cummins. So uh, uh, it was excellent. Everything about it was spec. 
for how we wanted it and uh, um, just a beautiful truck and delight to use and very user friendly and uh, yeah I don't know how we could have built a better truck so, uh, and price wise it was very cost effective compared to Kenworth or something and tear weight I think was a bit lighter and uh, so I was pretty keen to have a Mac because um, yeah I just thought they looked sharp and um, and we'd had a good, I mean, beautiful people to deal with. I just can't speak highly enough of them. So. Well, um, Alan Tanner, it's a Sunday afternoon in late May and we've just had had the privilege of the most amazing discussion that, uh, that I've titled The Big Trucks of, of Tanner Sawmills. Um, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you talk about the trucks and how they all came about and the stories behind them and hey thank you so much for your time this afternoon just can't thank you enough yeah well it's been a pleasure dave and uh, all the best so uh, yeah look forward to hearing from you in due time okay thanks very much enjoy your day well there you have it what an absolutely wonderful treat um, I certainly enjoyed doing that interview. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed episode four. That's the way we want uh, Trucking On with Dave McCoy to be. It's a truck enthusiast retreat and the opportunity to grab a bottle of your favourite beverage and listen to some um, great people and some and some really cool content. So just before we go, remember our New Zealand Trucking Magazine, New Zealand Trucking Media, KYND app downloadable for both Android and Apple in conjunction with Dr. Tom Mulholland and Marsh Insurance, the KIND app, the access code NZ Truck Mag. Remember, you're not just doing it for you, you're doing it for your loved ones who want to make sure that you do your checkups, that make sure you're in a happy place and uh, that you'll do a million Ks without without needing uh, too much of a top tune or, a, or an out-of-frame overhaul. So take care, talk to you next time and um, keep safe out there. Thank you.